0: Uh, we're talking about jesus jesus at his core who is jesus at the core of his being what was he actually in his substance what was the main thing about jesus living on this earth that he wanted us to understand and know about him and 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 so on now the core really matters physically doesn't it you can do a lot of work on the um, on the periphery of the body and the outside of things but if the core isn't right so um i looked up uh, core Pilates exercises on the internet, and 99% of the photographs were of people about 16 years old, <laughs> who were thin and had abs like mountain ranges. Um, but I rather preferred this one of an old chap, uh, which is more like me. So, um, but you've got to work at your core, haven't you? Um, you know, I have to make some pains as I'm getting older. I've got a bad neck with a problem in one of my joints. There, thing is. Whatever it's called, and uh, you know I've had some knee surgery, and I, you know my back's a bit, and, and I went to Debbie. Some of you know will know Debbie, and I said, "So I need some, I need some help." And I thought she'd give me some nice, easy exercises. <laughs> <laughs> so she gave me these these easy-looking exercises. She came around to the house, demonstrated these, old, you know, lifting your leg a little bit this way and lifting your, your centre of your body a bit this way, and it looked easy. And I tried them, and I mean honestly, I was sweating. I was sweating in a few seconds, even though I wasn't really moving very much. And you need that to deal with the core, because without a good core, you're, well, you can fiddle with the rest of your body, but you're you're messing, you're messed up. And and sometimes with Jesus, we can get the wrong impression. And sometimes I think the world might have the wrong impression about what Jesus is really about. What's at the core of his being? What's the main thing he wants us to, to understand? And we're looking at this particular passage because we're, building up towards the Beatitudes teaching day on the 29th. So last week, this week, and next week, we're looking at Matthew 4. And what's going on in the build up to Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount? So last week, we looked at how Jesus was... Um, Heralded by John the Baptist, here is the Messiah, basically. He was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. Then God came down and said, this is my son whom I I love, with him I am well pleased. So he got God's approval or commissioning in a sense, you could say. And then last week we talked about how he was tested in the wilderness, not for the sake of testing or not even just to pass a few tests of temptation, but to be prepared for the work that God had in mind for him. So that's where we are so far, and now we're looking at the next phase, and next week we'll look at one more as we go through and figure out what's going on here. So let's read that passage, and then we've got a few things to discuss together. So Matthew chapter 4, and picking it up in verse 12, Matthew 4 verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, uh, John, that's his cousin, John the Baptist, he's talking about there. He withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter. Simon, right, Simon. There you are. Your name checked there. Simon and his brother Andrew, they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there. He saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So we'll stop there for today. We'll look at the next bit uh, next, uh, next Sunday. So what's going on? Okay, a little bit of geography and history, just to put us in the picture of what's uh, happening. Uh, John the Baptist was imprisoned here. This is the fortress that, one of the fortresses that Herod had at that day, Herod Agrippa. It's in a place called Makerus. It's in the region of Perea. And um, that's where John the Baptist was taken and imprisoned. And uh, that's what's left today. That's a photograph of the, the mound that was the fortress. Um, and it, in terms of where it is exactly, it is uh, sort of here. So we've had uh, Jesus baptized in the Jordan River, and then he went to the wilderness somewhere over here. And John the Baptist is then taken from his ministry work around the Jordan, where he's baptizing people, and taken off to... Machaerus, here just the other side of the Dead Sea. And then what happens is Jesus moves from this area up to Nazareth, where he's from. So he goes back up to Nazareth. He's there, we don't know quite how long. And he goes from there there to Capernaum, which is on the northwest side of the Lake of Galilee. And so we find him now up in. Capernaum in the area of, of, as it says here, Naphtali and Zebulun. So Naphtali is uh, sort of this area up here, and Zebulun is sort of around here. So when it talks about Zebulun there, Naphtali up there. So these are the areas we're talking about um, uh, referenced referenced here. Why did Jesus go to Capernaum? Probably because, well, for several reasons, possibly. Um, But... uh, a lot of trade routes running through there, so the, in terms of him spreading his message, uh, people that might have heard him would go on and spread his message elsewhere. Um, a Big junction, really, there at Capernaum, north, south, and to some degree, east, west. Um, he probably worked there for a while and probably lived in, in Peter's house. Uh, now, so I've got something else for you here. Okay, so this is a photograph of the, of the synagogue, the first century synagogue at Capernaum. This is, uh, Penny and I were in Israel a year, year and a half ago. And so, this was the group we were with. This is the synagogue where Jesus spoke. This is in other uh, parts of the New Testament. But that's the synagogue in Capernaum. And uh, it is thought that Jesus may well have stayed in Peter's house because Peter lived in Capernaum. So, here's a short clip of a short clip of video of one of the buildings they think could be Peter's house. So, I videoed this a year and a half ago. These are the remains. of They built a church over the top of the ruins of this first century dwelling. It may have been Peter's house. It may not have been. There's some reasonable um, reasons to think it may have been, um, but they're not absolutely sure it's Peter's house. But it would have been a house very like this. It was quite spacious. There's evidence of early Christian worship there from the very early uh, years of Christianity. Um, And it's right next to the synagogue that I showed you earlier. It's just sort of over to the left there. It's very near. And so that's that's a first century dwelling in Capernaum, quite possibly where Jesus stayed, where Peter lived, and where he healed Peter's mother-in-law in Mark chapter 1, it mentions, it mentions that. So this is, this is uh, where we are. And just to finish off this bit, Lake Galilee. So Penny and I were fortunate enough to go on a boat on Lake Galilee. And it was a night. It was a misty, <laughs> misty day. Um, But you can imagine being on a boat there in Lake Galilee as Jesus uh, was at times, and Peter and Andrew and James and John and and, uh, other fishermen. (laughs) Galilee uh, is a small province in terms of the provinces of Israel at the time, but it had very fertile land, some of the most fertile land in Israel. So it was very densely populated, more densely populated than most of the rest of Israel. Much of Israel is desert and mountain. Uh, but this is a very fertile area. But th- it is the most densely populated area, not only of Israel, but of the Middle East at the time. Uh, it also uh, a, a, had a population that was somewhat volatile. Uh, the, the authorities in Jerusalem were always trying to get, their, get their, their hands on Galilee to calm them down. Galilee was the place where re- they thought rebellion was most likely to begin. It's a sort of a rebellious area. I don't know what the equivalent would be in the UK. Um, particularly a rebellious place. Uh, I not would, would it be Wales? Would it be in... in, 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 in Historically, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Glasgow, Glasgow, maybe, we're gonna vote for Glasgow there. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is all going online. Luton. On La- Luton Town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Luton Watford don't share a, uh, no. a mutual love, let's say. So I suppose from Watford's perspective, it would be Luton, yes. Okay, I'll, I was born there, I'll take it. Okay, <laughs> so they, the, the Galileans were known to be tough and courageous. It's an interesting, a very interesting area. Um, so that's where Jesus is. And now he hears about the imprisonment of his cousin, and that's tough news. I mean, your, your cousin is in prison and ultimately is beheaded. That's not the kind of news you, you like. And what does it do with Jesus? For some reason, there's a connection there between him hearing that news and then moving up to Galilee, first of all, Nazareth, and then on to Capernaum. So then... Matthew gives us this commentary in what's going, what's going on. Because what Matthew does is he says, you know what, this is, I think this is what Isaiah was talking about. He gives us a quote from Isaiah chapter 9. And he says that what Jesus did was to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said about that area Zebulun, that area Naphtali, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. So notice it's, it's an Israelite province, but it is referred to in Isaiah as Galilee of the Gentiles because it had such a strong Gentile influence. It was regarded, again, by the priestly authorities in Jerusalem with great suspicion, those sort of semi-heretics up there in Galilee. They can't be trusted. They've got too much Gentile influence. And these are people living in darkness. They've seen a great light, living in the shadow of death. A light has dawned. And of course, we're going to look on in Matthew chapter 5. It talks about being a light to the world. So there's a connection there, but we'll come on to that another time. And it's at that time, by Galilee, that Jesus says, okay, it's time to repent, the kingdom of heaven is, has come near, and he calls the first disciples, Peter and, um, or Simon and Andrew, Peter and Andrew, and, uh, and James and John, and they follow him. So what's going on here? We can look at two things, and it's on your handout there, two, two issues and two questions. We're going to be looking at Jesus' core message and Jesus' core uh, method, Core method. So I have a question which I'd like you to just turn to someone near you and have a conversation with for a couple of minutes. We'll take a moment or two to talk about this. What is at the core of his message? What do you learn here about it? First of all, the first part, not before, before we get to the calling of the disciples, what do you get? What do you understand from what Matthew writes about Isaiah and what Jesus Himself says when he says, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near? What do you say think is his core message? What's at the heart of what he's come to do according to what Uh, Matthew says about the prophecy from Isaiah and about what Jesus says here. How would you summarize, what would you say is the content? If this is who he is, if this is why he has come, if this is what he is proclaiming, what is at the core of his message? All right, let's take three minutes to talk with someone near you and see what we think. What do we think? All right, let's throw out a few things and let's see what we've got. What's at the core of his message as far as we can tell from the evidence we have uh, in front of us here? Yeah, obedience. obedience. His message is obedience. Okay. All right. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah.
1: Uh, we kind of concentrated on the phrase, the kingdom of God has come near. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. Because in other translations, it is near. Mm-hmm. And, this, it, and I've always thought it's a time thing. Mm-hmm. I'm sorting of a, a distance thing. Mm-hmm. And it also was sort of asking, does this mean that it's near now but it might go away? Mm-hmm. So now your chance to do it because later it won't be, it won't be so easy? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's so, uh, I don't know, so we kind of we will
0: throw it. Now, I yeah, yeah, well that would fit with the other passages where he talks about make every effort to enter, right? So it's, it's a present opportunity. It yeah. won't necessarily be around forever. So that's interesting, yes, Bill? It
1: might be that because of his death, mm-hmm. you will then, and you believe
0: in him, mm-hmm. then
1: enter into the kingdom of heaven right. through, through There's a
0: connection with his ultimate destiny on the cross, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay, what else do we see about the core the core of his message? What do we think? Stefan, uh, sorry. Of the, the kingdom is near. It's the fulfillment of all those mm-hmm.
1: prophecies
0: of, okay. of the new kingdom. Yeah.
1: So it's kind
0: of announcing a new era. Mm. Announcing a new era, yeah. The future, yeah. Fulfillment. I mean, that word fulfill seems important, doesn't it? Even though Jesus doesn't use the word, but Matthew does, referencing yeah. what's going on here. To fulfill. Mm, okay, so Old Testament stuff. Yeah?
1: One question that I have is that it talks about the people living in darkness.
0: Mm.
1: I've seen a great light. But it doesn't make it clear whether that's Gentiles or Jews and Gentiles. Mm? Mm-hmm. So is he, is he grouping everybody in together that they're in darkness? Mm-hmm. Now, now the new time has come. Everyone's in darkness. Comes the new light. Is it
0: just for Gentiles or is it for everyone? Mm. Good question. Because I mean, your average Jewish person, perhaps particularly a Pharisee, yeah. at that time, yeah. would see but themselves as being in the light, yes. but perhaps they're not. Yeah, not anymore. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Simon.
1: Yeah, we were saying um, about repentance, you know,
0: uh, and coming away from darkness and insincerity, and then to following Jesus, you know. And, uh, yep. and the truth. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a change. You mentioned change, obedience, which implies it, there's a disobedience followed by obedience. So there has to be change. Yeah. Good. Okay. Anything else? Anything else at the core? Yes. action, and sincere change. Okay, I like that. Beatitudes are all about that, so we'll come on to that when we teach it, but uh, it's about the change of the heart. Yeah, the core here. So, a couple of things that seems, I'll just mention, it struck me. Uh, One is that it is for all people. Part of the core of Jesus' message is this is for everybody. So everybody, (coughs) excuse me, I think I'd agree with you in the sense that Everybody's in the same category, in the darkness. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, it's, there is darkness. I have come to bring light. So it's the same for everybody, and it's a message for all peoples, all nations, all times, all, all cultures, all races. It's, it's for everybody. Uh, Revelation talks about how, um, how the good, good news in the gospel have come for the healing of the nations. So this is the idea. Is we're meant to be, and we have here um, many nations in, the, uh, in this room, And that's right. Isn't that the way it's meant to be? That God brings people to him, and as he brings people to him, he brings people together. It's like the old thing of, do you know that that marriage triangle thing, right? You've got a husband and wife here, and you've got God at the top of the triangle. And the idea is if you're going to resolve your conflicts, rather than try and sort it out yourself, if you both get closer to God, you'll get closer to each other, right? Okay, A little simplistic, but definitely it has an application. But it's a bit like that with the nations. How are we going to get the nations and the different kinds of people to, to truly love each other? How is it going to happen to the people that currently despise each other because of social economic issues or racial issues or whatever? How are they going to really love each other? Surely it's not just I mean, talking and conversations and, and all that kind of stuff can be useful. But if, if these people who are so different can both get close to God, well, then we bring in that, that true, if you like, brotherhood, sisterhood of humankind. And I think that's part of his message, part of the core of his message. It's for everyone, everybody, the, the, whole, the whole world, Jew and Gentile in that sense. And, um, and, the, and it's good news. It's good news. I, uh, it's a, the kingdom is here, is near, is, is around, uh, come into it. There are different phrases used about the kingdom. Uh, so it's come, it's coming, and it's still to come, but in different ways manifestations and fullness, which we'll have to talk about another time, but it's available as good news. Um, Darkness into light is good news. The kingdom has come near, change is implied. God's space has come to earth, you could say, is part of what he's saying. God's space has invaded here and now. And the last thing I'd say about this, and then we'll move on to the next point, is perhaps the darkest area has received the brightest light. That that area was known as the least, it would have been seen as the least open area to God in Israel at the time. So if you were an aspiring preacher, you wanted to build a movement, you wanted to get known, you wanted to start something impressive for God, the last place you would go (laughs) would be Galilee from a Jewish Jerusalem focused Uh, pharisaic focus perspective you'd start in jerusalem of course you would that's the mountain of the lord that's mount zion that's that's uh, where the temple is that's where you start if you're someone significant and you're doing something big for god galilee what are you doing in galilee and it's interesting to me that jesus sees the right place to start and the right place to focus and the right place to call followers and the right place to proclaim his message is in the place where no one else thinks you should go and maybe there's something in there for us. The places we think are least might be least open to the gospel, the, place, the people we think might be least open to the gospel, the most negative, the most oppositional, if that's a word, um, the most uh, atheistic, or the most pagan, or the most <coughs> <coughs> <excuse me coughs> influenced by postmodernism and relativism, or whatever we may think, that might be the very place where the good news of the gospel can take root most most strongly. So it challenges me to think about people I might have written off in my mind as people that really aren't gonna respond. Maybe they're the exact people I should be spending time with. Just a thought. All right, let's talk about our second issue here that I think we can just discuss for a few minutes. Um, The core message and the core method. Jesus' core method of how is he going to fulfill his mission? How is it going to happen? He's here on earth. He's been approved. He's been tested and prepared. How is it all going to work out? And so our question for the next few minutes is, when he calls these men, Simon and Andrew, James and John, when he calls them, what do you think they understood him to be calling them to? So you need to try and do a little bit of, uh, selective memory wiping in what you already know that they went on to do. Because although you know that, uh, and we know, all know that, they didn't at the time. So try and imagine you're on the lake there, you're, or you're by the lake, or you're mending your nets, and Jesus comes, and you know who he is, because we know that they were already disciples of John the Baptist, and they'd heard John the Baptist talk about him, so he, they definitely knew a bit about him. But, but what do you think they thought he was calling them to? Try and get inside their heads for three minutes. See what you find, okay? Here's this rabbi they've heard about. They've met maybe once or twice. They've heard him preach and teach a bit. Um, and, and this rabbi, by the way, of course, rabbis didn't do this in this day and age. So this is a very unusual thing. So what you, if you wanted to be the disciple of a rabbi in that day, you went and interviewed with the rabbi. And you go and say, excuse me, rabbi, could I be your disciple? And they'd say... Well, you know, blah, blah, blah. They'd interview you, and then they'd say yes or no. For a rabbi to go and ask people to follow him was unheard of. Mm-hmm. So it's very unusual behavior for a rabbi type. Anyway, so what, uh, what do you think they understood? What would they, what would they have understood him to mean by his call? What were they expecting, do you think? Um, Barry? Before they were expecting me to just go around. There'd have been a model there of other rabbis. Yeah, Yeah, supporting them, yeah. Uh, Dan, yeah.
1: I think because they were already on board with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was not shy in saying what he thought about religious leaders Mm. of the so called spiritual elite, Mm. they obviously had the same convictions as John the Baptist, uh, and that thing needed to change. Um, And I think maybe that was influenced by where they lived—the fact the rubbed shoulders with Gentiles and Jews, and mm-hmm. that multicultural mm-hmm. society. But when they heard maybe the message was the new, message was about not just religious leaders changing, but new message for everyone, mm. and that they were chosen by him. They thought, "Wow, this is an opportunity to be part of something new, and something new which could yes. was going to change." Yes, it's going for their heads at the time.
0: Yeah. No, that would make sense, because they know what John the Baptist has been preaching, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, He has been rebuking the religious leaders for their hypocrisy. And they know that Jesus is aligned with John the Baptist um, in that sense. So, yeah. yeah, they. It's a
1: natural continuation.
0: Yep. Very much so. Good point. Yeah. Okay, anything else? What else? What else? Yes. Um, I was thinking that knowing already what they were
1: hearing from John the Baptist, they finally, the, oh, when they had the chance to hear from him, they thought, like, oh, so it's true. Wow, we have to. There is no other way. We would be foolish right. not to do it. Yeah. I think that was kind of, no, 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 no. I can't miss it. I just can't. It's for me here. Right. I've got to grab it. And the jobs were, oh, yeah, maybe you're right. This job may not mm. you know, last forever, so mm.
0: Okay, exciting opportunity. Good, anything else? Simon, what you got?
1: Well, I was just thinking these guys are kind of joke locks, you know, and yeah. giving them an opportunity to, you know, um, progress in life, you know, because they must have been a bit frustrated and things like that, doing fishing and um, jobs sometimes, you
0: know, but so uh, now they are yeah. you know, Jesus giving them some attention, Sure. Yeah, yeah, they could have felt very um, affirmed, not quite the right word, um, valued. valued yeah. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah. he had some
1: kind of magnetic personality which drew people to
0: him. Yeah. I think that was part of it as well. Well, and we'll look a bit more about that next week because we're, <coughs> that fits in well with the next section as to his where, where that came from, in a sense, his mixture of strength and warmth. But we'll talk more about that next week. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And he was taking them on an adventure. Yeah. Right? It, it, it was, I was about to say, in the same
1: way, I mean, job, in a way, is about adventure anyway. They're going into the unknown, mm. unknown weather, into unknown conditions, throwing their life into unknown waters, unknown where they're going to get Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's a very much
0: uncertain so, Really uncertain. Concerned. What an adventure. <laughs> ah, the life of a disciple is an adventure whether we're called to uh, follow Jesus physically or not. Okay, a couple of thoughts and then we need to wrap up. I think, I think it's interesting that Jesus, first of all, chooses fishermen. We know later on he goes on to choose all kinds of other people, but he starts with a bunch of fishermen. And it's, it's interesting to speculate as to why fishermen might be particularly suitable to being disciples. Uh, but we can discuss that another time. But there's something there about, uh, there's certainly courageous people. The squalls on the lake were stormy. I mean, you had to be courageous. Um, you had to be very patient. Fishing is not something you can do when you're in a hurry. Uh, you had to persevere out, out there all night fishing. You have to be flexible. There are different kinds of net for different kinds of fish. You need to know how to adapt. Um, you have to be properly uh, unobtrusive because if you scare the fish, then they they want to stick around, right? And so you've got to know how to be quiet and still, and you've got to have a good sense of timing. Again, for fishing, and uh, proper fisher people would, would say more than that, I'm sure, but. Um, but it's interesting how a lot of those things are appropriate for someone who wants to follow Jesus. About There is things there about timing and about being unobtrusive and about perseverance and patience and courage. Interesting. So my, the thing I was praying about this morning, and I'd like to leave this thought with you, not quite the final thought, but just a thought, is why did God call you? As in, what I mean by that is, he loves everybody, but I'm guessing there are some characteristics that you have through your experiences, through your personality, through your strengths, that would make you suitable to be a disciple, in a way? Like, what would be the ways that God would use you as a disciple he might use differently from the way he would use me? What is it, is it about your background, your experience, your training, your whatever it is, that you think that, oh, this, this is useful as a follower of Jesus Christ? Might want to think about that, pray about that. I think interesting to think about that. Not the core of the point of the core of the message that we're t- dealing with today, but I just thought it was kind of interesting. Um, so Jesus at his core. The last thing I want to say about the method, about him calling the disciples is this, a a, a negative and a positive. Jesus, um, when he was calling people to follow him, he wasn't calling them to measure up. He was only calling them to follow. And I think this has Great relevance for all of us, but particularly for any of us who really struggle to believe that you can be a disciple. That that's really for you. Because one of the barriers to following Jesus is the sense I just can't do this. The standard's too high. I mean, Jesus is just perfect, and then his disciples. Well, you know, they were apostles. These these guys became apostles, and they must have been like super spiritual and. I, you know, and I I know some Christian people and they're all holy and all that. And and I just, I I don't measure up. And there are things to understand about becoming a follower of Jesus, a disciple, that that change the way we live. And we live by different standards and values. And that's why Jesus says in this passage, repent. There's a change that needs to happen. But it's not about measuring up. It's just about following. And it, it creates a lot. A great simplicity for us. Yeah. Now, I need to be asking myself in my own discipleship to Jesus Christ, not so much, am I measuring up? Because the answer is always, no. no. I never measure up. Not even in my best days. I mean, I don't know in my 30 odd years of being a disciple whether there's one day I haven't sinned at all in one day. There might have been one day somewhere. I don't know. But I'm, I never measure up. But I can ask myself, am I faithfully following? with the best I have, with God's help and each other's help, right? Mm-hmm. And I faithfully it. And I think that's a really important distinction. Jesus is not calling them to measure up. He's calling them to follow him. They, he is their mentor. He's their guide. He's their inspiration. He's their hero. They want to be as much like him as they can, and they want to be in his presence as much as they can, and they want to then be as much like him as they can to, to help other people. I think that's it. And I think it's really important to remember that's the core. I think that something in there is the core of what Jesus came to call people to. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's a relationship with God and many other things, but the, what does it mean to follow? What does it mean to be a disciple? It just means follow. Be with him and learn from him as we go, not about measuring up. So Jesus had his core. He had a core message, which was good news. It was for all people. Um, and it did. it was about change, but it was about good things coming. And his core method was to follow, to call people to be with him and to follow. And I think that is really what that is, uh, is all about. So can I encourage us to think this week about what kind of message we're bringing across to other people in terms of what Christianity is? It's a positive message. And in our own following, let's, uh, let's make sure that we ourselves, and as we call others, other people to, that we're calling them to follow Jesus, that is the focus of all that we're calling people to. Hope that's helpful, thanks very much. We'll go on to the next bit next week.